All right. Well, good to be with you this afternoon. Um, I am glad to be back this Sunday. Our family enjoyed a vacation in Arizona this past week. That's why I was gone on Sunday. We stopped first in Phoenix to visit some old friends and then made our way up to Flagstaff, Arizona. Not sure if you've been there. Uh, beautiful city, cold, it's high Arizona, and uh, there was snow there, so we got to enjoy the, the winter snow. And a couple of us had the privilege of hiking to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is about an hour and a half north of Flagstaff. And uh, a couple of us went to the bottom. It was an incredible hike. And I have some pictures to show from our excursion. Here are uh, a couple of pictures of the view as you hike down the canyon. And uh, really, pictures don't do it justice. It was beautiful, beautiful hike. Uh, next picture here is a picture of me, my father-in-law, and my brother-in-law. That's the Colorado River. That's about halfway down, believe it or not. And then uh, this last picture here is of us at the bottom. There's the Colorado River and the bridge that goes across into Phantom Ranch where we stayed the night. It was a crisp 22 degrees and uh, so much fun. But one of the best parts of the hike was actually at night when uh, you look up into the sky and without any light pollution, you see the stars and they are just bright and beaming. You could even see satellites come across the sky. Uh, it is so clear out there and you begin to grasp, really grapple with the words of David in Psalm 19 when he writes that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, what, a, what a joy to be out in God's creation and see that uh, away from the pollution of San Bernardino County. And uh, it was just an amazing time, amazing time. And so our, our family, we're refreshed, we're excited to be back here with you all this Sunday, Summit Bible Church. If you would, please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. We're working our way through this epistle written by the Apostle Paul. An incredible book. If you're uh, wondering where the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament, there are a couple of epistles that are grouped Together, And I learned an acronym today that could be helpful to you. You know, you may have a hard time figuring out where Colossians is, Philippians, Ephesians. I learned this acronym from none other than Terry Cook, uh, General Electric Power Company. Is that right, Terry? General Electric Power Company. That could help you find uh, Ephesians, which is the second epistle in the four. It goes uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So a helpful hint, a tool from our beloved Terry Cook. And so, yes, we're in Ephesians chapter 3, and uh, this afternoon we come to verse 14. Before we go any further, let me pray and give this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, oh, it is good that we can call you Father. That we who are in Christ have access to you. We can 
walk into your study. We can bow in your throne room and speak with you frankly about what is on our hearts, about our needs, about our desires, our wants. And we could also come into your throne room with confidence, knowing that Christ is our mediator. And we can praise you, we can thank you, we can express words of joy and love to you as our true Heavenly Father. I pray that we would uh, not be apathetic about that. We would not be apathetic about prayer. We would not be apathetic about our relationship with you and the glories of your salvation that offered us a relationship with you. God, I pray that we'd be blown away by that today and that we would take more advantage of having access to you through prayer. That we would learn from Paul's prayer today how we ought to pray. God, I pray that you work through this text, you work through your word to impact our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in verse 14, and really... uh, Verse 14 is a continuation of the thought. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul seems to start a thought and then he digresses. He goes into this really a long parenthesis, trying to address some of the doubts or concerns that people might have because the Apostle Paul is in prison. And remember, Apostle Paul is the Apostle to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are concerned knowing wait a minute, our apostle is in prison. Is our ministry over? Is the mission dead? Whereas the Jews are looking at the apostle Paul in prison on behalf of the Gentiles thinking, what a waste. Here, this beloved apostle, this great apostle is in jail for Gentiles? Come on. What is going on? And so Paul explains kind of the situation and explains that, you know, when our plans fail or when it seems to not be working out, we can be confident that God's plan never fails. That God is on target. He's fulfilling his purposes and the Gentiles will be reached. They are included in God's plan of salvation and the manifold wisdom of God, literally the multicolored wisdom of God is revealed through the great commission ministry of the church. So we can be confident Jesus Christ will build his church. He's going to finish what he started. And so an incredible digression, incredible parentheses, and now we get back to 14 where Paul continues his thought. And we see what Paul (laughs) began to do at the beginning of the chapter. He, He continues in verse 14. And we see that Paul prays. Look at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. Paul prays. Now, this is really significant. Paul articulates his prayers. He he writes them out for us. And that's helpful. It's helpful in a couple of ways. But one of the ways that it's really helpful is that it reveals his purpose in writing. Paul very plainly states why he writes the letter and he articulates it through his prayers. You'll remember this is his second prayer in the epistle. He prayed once before in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. 
What was his first prayer for? His first prayer was that you would know. That you would know. Number one, the hope that you have in Christ. Number two, that you would know the riches of your inheritance if you're in Christ. And number three, and really the emphasis, is that you would know the power that has worked in your life in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2 was an illustration of power, immeasurable power, unfailing power, power that maybe the state of Texas would want right now. True power, and it's power in the Christian life. He illustrates this power in Christ and says, though you were dead, unable to make yourself alive, By his power, he made us alive. By his power, he raised us up with Christ. That you would know the power that seated you with Christ in the heavenly places. The power that reconciled us to himself and with each other. The power that broke down the barriers of ethnic prejudice. That you would know this power in Christ. That was his first prayer. And now we come to his second prayer in chapter 3. Based on the power that you know is in you, Paul prays that you would be strengthened by it and ready to use it. In other words, Paul's first prayer is that you would know the power in Christ. And his second prayer is that you would be ready to use the power in Christ. That you would, in a sense, be fueled up, geared up, ready to live the Christian life. That's what Paul prays for. And this is really a turning point in the book. Uh, chapter, we're coming up to chapter 4, which now gets into the practical outworkings of the gospel. Chapter one, or Chapters one, and 1 through 3 is the calling in the Christian life. Chapters 4 through 6 is the conduct of the Christian life, where the rubber meets the road. So before he goes into a bunch of commands, Paul prays for your strength, that you would be strengthened, fueled up, prepared to live the Christian life. Listen, to hike 4,800 feet from the south rim down to the canyon floor Seven and a half miles down, seven and a half miles back up, 4,800 feet elevation change. In order to do that, you need to be prepared. (laughs) You need to have the right gear. You can't just wake up one day and decide, you know what, I'm going to hike to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. You know, you put your nice pair of jeans on, a pair of sneakers, uh, you know, I don't know, a collared shirt, and then just go down there without nothing. You can't do that. You've got to be prepared. Strengthened, fueled up, trained, ready to go. And the same is true in the Christian life. You don't just wake up day by day, shoot from the hip in the Christian life and go, I'm going to live like a Christian today. I'm going to have enough strength or power to, you know, follow Jesus in a time of tumult, in a time of, of just chaos, in a world that is digressing and getting worse. You need everyday strength. You need power. You need fuel 
to live the Christian life. And the question is, where does that come from? Where does the strength to live the Christian life come from? And that's what Paul's prayer tells us today. Paul tells us where it comes from, who gives it to us, where you find its root, and what the result is in the Christian life. What does your fuel gauge say right now? Your spiritual fuel gauge. Are you full, filled up, ready to go. I am living for Christ. Christ is my first love. Every area of my life is surrendered to him, and I am living all out for Jesus. Or are you low, if not empty, running on spiritual fumes right now? Anxious, tired, apathetic, dry, I just really don't feel like living for Jesus today, tomorrow, this week at all. And maybe you're somewhere in between. Well, this prayer will help you this afternoon. Because the reality is, none of us are on full. Not one of us. Not one of us are perfect. Not one of us are completely mature. Not one of us have arrived in the Christian life. We are all making our way toward Jesus and daily we need strength, we need power to fuel our Christian life. So where are you going to go daily? Where are you going to get that power? Where are you going to get that strength? Well, let's look where Paul goes. Where does Paul go? Number one, where does Paul go for strength? Paul goes to his father. Look at in the text, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It could be translated, from whom everyone receives fatherhood. Now that's not everyone in the world, but reading this in its context, we know that God is not partial in salvation, right? So we're talking about salvation here in the context This, we know, is a salvation offered to the world, but not received by the whole world and everyone in it. It's only received by those who have faith to believe it, who are gifted, who are graced, who are chosen by God, Ephesians chapter 1. And so when he says that every family in heaven and on earth is named, he's referring to all those who believe. And we know that his salvation extends to people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. God is not partial in salvation. He is the father of the Christian in China, and he's the father of the Christian in Kansas. They're kinfolk in Christ. They're brother, sister. He is our heavenly father, the father of salvation. Where do you go first? Where do you go first when troubles rise up? When there's issues in your life? When there's a dry spell in your walk with the Lord? Where do you go? I don't know. I wonder if you're like me. When problems come up in my life, whether it's as trivial as car problems or as significant as sickness, even the death of a loved one, 
I wonder if you're like me and, and everybody in my life knows about it or hears about it before God does. I wonder if you're like me and I, I fail at this all the time. I, you know, I, I complain about my problems to people, whether it's my spouse or my family or my friends. They know all about my problems, but I still have not gone to the Father. I've not taken my requests to God. Where does Paul go first? He bows his knees before the Father. Wow, it's convicting, isn't it? Let's turn up the heat a little bit more on the conviction uh, stovetop here. Who does Paul go to the Father for? Does he go for his own problems, his own life issues? No, no, no. Paul goes to the Father, look at verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened. Paul goes to the Father for others. Wow. What selflessness. I mean, I got plenty of problems on my own. And to look beyond my problems and to care so much about yours that I would take them to the Father in prayer. One of the most Christian things that is often said is, I'll pray for you. How often do you follow through with that? Wow. I, I, I know I've failed in that. But when someone shares a problem with you, when somebody shares a concern or even a praise, even something good that's happened in their life, how often do we go, you know what? I'm going to go to the Father for you. I want to go to the Father for you. I'm going to pray for you. And when I say I'm going to pray for you, I'm actually going to do it. Man, we can all grow in a genuine spiritual concern for others. To be burdened for others so much that we would enter our Father's office, we would enter our Father's study and make a request on behalf of another. When I think about going to the Father, when I think about Paul here, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. I think about a child entering his or her father's study. I don't know about you, but growing up when I would ask my parents for something, I would always ask mom first (laughs) because I knew it would be an easier conversation. And I knew it was serious when my mother would say, you need to ask your father. Right? That adds some gravitas to the situation. Do I really want to ask dad? Is this so important to me that I want to interrupt my dad in his office or in his study to make my request? And I can promise you this, it was never for anybody else. It was always for what I wanted. And so my father's response, often my earthly father's response, was based upon how he was feeling that day. (laughs) Or or how busy he was with work. Or how generous he felt. What is our heavenly father's response based upon? Well, it's based upon his character. Our heavenly father responds according to his character. So Who is our Heavenly Father that we pray to? Who is this Father? You know, if we're going to come into His room, His study, and make a request 
to this Heavenly Father. We better be confident in who He is. Well, Ephesians tells us He's a wealthy Father. Our Heavenly Father is rich in grace. Chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. He is rich, or He has a rich inheritance. Chapter 1, verse 18. He is rich in mercy. Chapter 2, verse 4. He is rich in glory. He's a glorious Father, Ephesians tells us. The Father of glory. You know, I thought my earthly father had the power to grant me what I wanted. How much more does our heavenly father have the power? He is the father of glory. All power belongs to him to grant our request or deny it. Yet he is a generous father. Ephesians 1.3 He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He gives gives to us according to his riches. You know, a billionaire walking on the street, if he gives 20 bucks to a homeless man, he gives out of his riches. But the billionaire who walks on the street and tells the homeless man, I'm going to buy you a house a $700,000, $800,000 house, that's a man who gives according to his riches. Our Heavenly Father gives according to his riches. Wealth is just poured out on us. He is a good Father. He is a merciful and loving Father. He is rich in mercy. So if you go to Him with your sins, if you go to Him with even the worst sins, do you think... That His mercy is enough to forgive you? Do you think His grace is abundant enough? Do you think He loves you enough? He's an approachable Father. You don't need to fear walking into His throne room. You don't need to fear that when you walk into His study and interrupt Him, that He's going to be furious, upset, impatient with you. No, no, no. He is approachable. You can go to Him anytime, place. He is an impartial father. He's the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. You don't need to be concerned about the color of your skin or your background or your ethnicity. Any and all can approach this father by faith. So there he is, your heavenly father. I don't know what kind of earthly father you have. Some of you, have had crummy ones, real crummy ones. Some of you, others, have had good fathers, good earthly fathers, and maybe, you know, somewhere on the spectrum in between. I could promise you, no matter how good your earthly father was here or how bad he was, I know that you have a better heavenly father. Turn to this father. Run to this heavenly father with your concerns, with your problems, and for the concerns and problems of others. Take everything to him. Walk into his throne room daily. Bust open the door to his study and say, Father, help me. I need you. You know where to go for strength. You know where to go for power. It's to the heavenly Father. Run to the Father who cares for us better than we can care for ourselves. A Father who knows our needs before we even ask him. A Father who gives every good gift 
the strength to endure every trial. He's the Father who hears every cry, who sustains every breath. He's never far away, and He welcomes you into the secret place. I, I just, you know, asked the Lord as I was studying this, Father, te- or, yeah, God, teach me how to pray. It's similar to the disciples who asked Christ that. And what did Christ tell them? He said, you know, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to who? Your father. Who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Go to the father. Go to the father. And may we go to the father for others. May you think selflessly in your prayers like the Apostle Paul. Who gives you the strength? Who gives you the strength? You know where to go, but who gives it to you? You know, the first answer is probably pretty obvious here. It's the Father. But what's really cool about this passage is that all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. And all three play a part in your strengthening. We believe that God is triune. He is one in essence. Three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And there are a few passages in Scripture where we see them all together. This is one of them. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of His glory, whose glory? The Father's glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through who? His Spirit in your inner being. So that who? Christ, the Son, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here we have the synergy of the Trinity working to empower you to live the Christian life. All three. How cool is that? Heroes of strength working in your heart and in your life. Let's look first at the Father. We've looked at him briefly already. He is the wealthy philanthropist. Wealthy philanthropist. He has all the riches, the glory, the grace, the mercy, and he gives it generously according to his riches or the riches of his glory. Again, he doesn't give out of his riches, he gives according to them. So we can expect and know that our wealthy father will give us what we need. You know, Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. You're concerned about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. Why are you concerned knowing that your heavenly Father knows what you need and will grant you your needs? He is a wealthy philanthropist. Often we see him as, you know, the big guy upstairs, disconnected, folding his arms, looking down at us, shaking his head. That's not how Scripture portrays our heavenly Father especially for those in Christ. The Holy Spirit, He is the transformer. Look at where the Spirit works. Power through His Spirit, verse 16, in your inner being. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart, changes your inner being. That's always where He is in the Christian life. He's working inside of you. And it started with your regeneration, you being born again. That's what the scripture talks about. Titus 3.5 says he saved us by the washing of regeneration 
and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, the Spirit was the first one into that grimy, filthy room inside of you. He opened the door and goes, you know what, we got to clean this place up. And he goes through and he washes it. He cleans it out. He prepares it. He flips the lights on into that dark, dark, sin-filled room. And he makes it inhabitable. (laughs) He's the first man in. And he grants us faith to believe. And he allows, well, the third hero to walk through the door. And that leads us to the third person mentioned here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. The Spirit opens it up, turns the lights on, grants us faith to believe, and Christ enters the heart. Jesus dwells in you. That's a revolutionary thought. I mean, if you really think about it, mind-blowing. The Lord Jesus Christ dwells in you. He's with you, and you're with Him. Didn't he say that in the Great Commission? He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The synergy of the Trinity in Christian strengthening. You think you have enough resources there to live the Christian life? You think there's enough strength and power in the triune God? Do you know where to go? Let's move to point number three. What is the root of strength? What is the root of strength? We know where to go. We know who strengthens us, who provides us the strength. What is the root of strength? Look at verse 17b. That you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth of and length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. True strength sprouts from love. True strength sprouts from love. There are two infinitives here. Verse 18, to comprehend, which essentially means to take hold of or to grasp. It's not that you would just rationally assent to it. Like, oh, I believe in the love of Jesus. No, no, that you would grasp it. And the second infinitive here, to know, is gnosko, which is the intimate knowledge, personal knowledge. Not that you would just know about Christ's love, but you would know it personally and intimately in a deeper way every single day. Christian, you must never tire of studying, talking about, and reminding yourself of the love of God, ever. If the love of God bores you, then you've got a problem. The love of Christ should fuel you. It's like putting more gas into your tank. Every time you look at it, every time you think about it, if you feel dry or you feel spiritually weak, think about Christ's love because that is the root, the grounding for true strength. I mean, do you remember what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love? Let me remind you with a, 
an old verse that you remembered in Sunday school. John 3.16. Why don't you turn your Bibles to John 3.16? Because I think we all, I need it, a reminder of the height, the breadth, the depth, and the length of God's love for us. And I know I just got all of those out of order. But turn in your Bible to John 3.16. This verse tells us all of these things. Maybe you have it memorized. Starts with, for God so loved. There's the height of it. There is no higher love. Not a love from a, a woman or a man or a significant other or a brother or a sister or a father or a mother or a politician or a celebrity. This is a higher love. This is a love from the Creator, the Heavenly Father, God. There is no higher love than a love from God. It comes from Him. It doesn't come from the Hallmark movies. God so loved, the highest love. God so loved the world. There's the breadth of it. This is not a love limited to the people of Israel. This is not a love limited to this ethnic group. This is not a love limited to the United States of America. This is a love that extends to all peoples in all nations, every tribe, tongue, the world. All who would believe in him. God's love shows no partiality. There's the breadth of it. God so loved the world that he gave. There's the depth of it. There is not a deeper love. Greater love has no one than this that a man would lay his life down for his friend. Great, deep love. It goes beyond an emotional feeling. It goes beyond a couple of shallow words. It goes beyond a, a simple exchange. It is sacrifice. God gave. That's deep, real love. If you're looking for love today, look no further than the deep and real love of God who gave. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. There's the length. There's the extent of His love. God would love so far as to give His only Son to crush Him on a cross for you. I just speaking as a father of a son, I have a hard time even grasping or thinking about the reality of giving my son for someone else. That's an extraordinary love. An extraordinary love that only comes from God. And that is the extent, the length that God went to for you. That's love. You remember it? Does it warm your heart? Does it fill your spirit? Does it strengthen you? Man, if God so loved me, how could I not love others? If God so loved me, how can I not get over this coworker that's just annoying me? If God so loved me, how can I not love my spouse sacrificially? If God so loved me, how can I not make things right with that family member that I haven't talked to in years? 
if God so loved me, how can I not share the gospel with this other person, this other soul in front of me that I know is going to hell? God's love fuels us, drives us, motivates us to live for God and to love him back. The height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of God. This is the root, the foundation of strength. It's interesting to me. Paul's commands to men. 1 Corinthians 16. You remember what Paul says to men? 1 Corinthians 16. This is the man verse. This is the grizzly bear verse. Okay. He says this. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Hoorah. Right? That's a man's verse. Act like men. Oh, yeah. We love that, don't we? All right, Paul. Of course we're going to act like men. What do we need to do? What's our first command? What's our first order as men? Christ's army. Strong, grizzly bear men. What do we do? Should we be breaking bricks over our heads? Eating bacon for every meal? No, what does 14 tell us? 1 Corinthians 16, 14, the next verse. Let all that you do be done in love. Strong men are not those that bench press 225 and over. Strong men are not those with hair on their chest. Strong men are not those that are stubborn, stern, with wrinkles under their eyes, firm, dry skin, burly. No, no, no. Strong men are strong selfless lovers. That's a strong man. Strong men put their wives before themselves. Strong men put their children before themselves. Strong men puts their co-workers' needs, wants before themselves. Strong men put everybody before themselves. They're selfless and they love in the way that Christ loves. Love sprout, or sorry, strength sprouts from love. You want to be stronger as a Christian, go back to love. In other words, if you feel dry, if you feel kind of apathetic, you feel like your Christian walk isn't going up, but it's kind of plateaued, go back to love. Go back to love, Christ's love. Meditate on his love for you. Last point, really briefly. What is the result of true strength? What's the result of this? We know who to go to. We know who strengthens us, who grants it to us, the Trinity. We know where it sprouts from or what the root of love is, or strength is. It's out of love. And what's the result of it? Just that very last phrase in verse 19. It says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That your fuel tank would fill up in your Christian life. That's the result. When you're strengthened by God, you grow. There's progress. There's a filling that happens. I like the NASB translation of this verse. It says that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. It indicates that we're all in process None of us have arrived. We're all hoping, praying that we would grow still more. That we would continue to be sanctified. 
You don't get to a certain age, you know, 30 years of being a Christian to where, all right, no more growing to do. I can just, you know, sit on my hiney and wait for heaven. That's not how the Christian life works. We're always growing. We're always pressing on. There are many ways and many facets of our life that can be filled with all the fullness of God. There are, there's still time for us for the spiritual fuel gauge to go up. The goal, though, the goal is to be filled with all the fullness of God. And we know we're all in progress to that point. I think about Ephesians 4.13. Paul, later on in the book, is talking about how apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So they're mending the nets. They're preparing saints for this cause. Look at 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, until we all one day are like Jesus. He's our goal. He's our standard. Let me just tell you, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. He's way up here. And there are ways for all of us to grow into the maturity and the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're all in process. And we all have the same goal, to be like Jesus. And when God is truly strengthening your life, when you're truly going to him for strength, for power, and when you're remembering His love, and your whole life is rooted in His love, you will grow. And the little dial on the fuel gauge will continue to go up until that day, until that day, and this is when it happens, until the day you stand face to face with Jesus Christ in glory. Then you're true north. You're full. You will be like Him. And there will be no more sin, no more struggle, no more pain. And you enjoy forever in your new glorified body, perfect in Christ. What, what, a, what a reality to look forward to. But until that day, don't ever stop. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. Every day whether you're 75 and been a Christian for 50 years or you're in your 20s and been a Christian less than a decade, we can all grow to become more like Christ. He should be our pursuit. So go to the Father for strength. Go to Him with your concern and for the concerns of others. And never forget love. And watch God work mightily in your life and grow you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for these truths. Thank You for... Just the treasure in the scriptures, the treasure of the knowledge of you, even just the plethora of applications that we can draw out of the text and apply to our lives. I pray that you would fill us. I pray that you would strengthen us, that we would be filled with your love. God, that you would strengthen our prayer lives our dependency upon you. You'd work mightily in our hearts with only your power, this immeasurable power 
would grow us to become more like Jesus Christ. He is our prize, Lord. Pray that you'd help us as we walk towards him. In Jesus' name, amen.